ticking down to 640 to play Iowa waiting on the punt from Michael Branton for Odell all the way back to his 18 and has some running room still on his feet and he can fly Odell to the 30 to the 20 he goes to the end zone an 82-yard punt return for a touchdown for Andy Brodell. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the weekly football show from HawkeyesMike.com. Last Saturday's game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with Tom Brenneman, Charles Davis, and Carissa Thompson. Nice job on the telecast. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Third down. We'll call it four at the 25-yard line. They need to get to the 21 to convert. Otherwise, they're looking at probably a 42-yard field goal try. And this is just a straight audible from Christensen, not called by the bench. Green breaks it to the outside. First down, yardage and more. He's still on his feet, and he stepped out of bounds at the five-yard line. Green, 18 carries for 113 yards. And he is into the end zone. Three straight 100-yard rushing games to begin this season for Green. And that's his third rushing touchdown. On a wet day and a soggy field, the Iowa Hawkeyes persevered to defeat the Iowa State Cyclones 17-5 and once again rule the state in football, carrying away the Cy-Hawk trophy in front of yet another sellout crowd. It wasn't pretty, and at times it appeared the field was making as many tackles as the defenses. But a win is a win, and this one was big for the Hawks. The Iowa defense dominated once again, in spite of giving up more yards than Iowa's offense could generate. Most importantly, they kept the Cyclones out of the end zone and held them scoreless in two trips inside the five-yard line. In fact, ISU held the ball for more than 20 minutes in the second half and almost the entire third quarter. Iowa's defense may have given a new definition in this game to bend, don't break. Iowa State also missed three field goals. ISU came into this contest averaging 46 points per game. The defense has now allowed only eight points through three weeks, the fewest since the 1935 season. The Hawks' offense was sluggish and inconsistent. The game was tied at three apiece at the end of the third quarter. But things broke open when Andy Brodell returned a fourth-quarter ISU punt 81 yards for a touchdown that essentially sealed the deal. One interesting and rather odd note, while Brodell avoided several tackles on the play from the Cyclones, he was finally taken down by Herkey 12 yards into the end zone. Not sure where that shows up in the stats. Rick Stanzi started his second game at quarterback and turned in a mixed performance before being pulled for Jake Christensen after an interception late in the third quarter. Jake led the Hawks to their first TD behind the rushing of Sean Green and then stalled out the offense again with some inconsistent passing. The question of who starts at quarterback is dominating much of the discussion among fans and the media again this week as coach Kirk Ferentz continues to list both Stanzi and Christensen as co-starters. Ferentz says it will depend largely on who practices best during the week, but that he is confident he has two good QBs. And while most of the attention is focused on the quarterbacks, there is pretty much open competition still going on in other key positions as well. Middle linebacker, strong safety, left guard, and kicker. It was the Hawks' third straight victory to open the 2008 season, while the Cyclones fell to 2-1. Iowa heads to Pittsburgh this Saturday for its first road game of the season and another tough test. Pitt had this past week off and is 1-1 one one following an upset season opening loss to Ball State. 
The win moves Iowa's overall lead in the Iowa State Series to 37-19, and the home team has now won five straight. One troubling note, twice in the first half, Iowa offensive coordinator Ken O'Keefe failed to get the play calls into the quarterback in time, and the Hawks had to use up two of their timeouts to avoid penalties. Fortunately, it didn't come back to bite them. This seems to be a lingering problem with O'Keefe over the past few seasons. The Hawks managed the new clock rules fairly well their first two games, but this is something that has to be cleaned up fast. It's a completely avoidable problem, and it could really hurt the Hawks in big games down the road if it continues. Let's talk about the field for a minute. In spite of the facilities staff working through the night, the field was in pretty bad shape. At the end of this season, the Iowa Athletic Department also needs to address the drainage problems towards the south end of the field, where apparently there is no drainage at all because the pipes under the turf are clogged with sand. The Iowa coaches and team and fans invest too much in this program to have to put up with those kinds of field conditions. This needs to be fixed before next season. This is also the first time I can remember where neither band was allowed on the field, pre-game or halftime, for their performances. That's how bad the conditions were. One other positive note, Andy Brodell, after fighting his way back from a severe season-ending injury last year, was named the Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week. Brodell not only had the 81-yard punt return for a touchdown, but he now has a 23 yards per return average, one of the highest in the nation. It's in the bag. The fat lady has left the building. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. A quick review of game notes and key stats is brought to you by Prevents, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. Go to www.prevents.com. This is the second time in three years that Iowa starts the season 3-0. The Hawkeyes collected three takeaways against Iowa State. Iowa started the game on offense again as Iowa State won the toss and deferred a curious phenomena in college football these days. Iowa also scored on its first possession on a place kicker Trent Mossbrucker's 26-yard field goal. The Hawkeyes have now scored on all three of their opening possessions this season, a marked departure from the problems they had in their opening series last year. Iowa State failed to score on its opening possession, and so far this year, all three Iowa opponents have failed to score on their opening drives. In the last seven years, Iowa is now 43-6 when leading at the half and 48-4 when leading after three quarters. Sean Green topped the 100-yard mark again for the third straight game. He's now the Big Ten's second leading rusher. Key stats, first downs, Iowa had 11 to Iowa State's 18. Yards rushing, Iowa 122 to the Clones 73. Net yards passing, 122 for the Hawks, 252 for the Cyclones. Total offensive yards, 325 for Iowa State, 244 for Iowa. Iowa ran 50 offensive plays. Possession time, a little over 32 minutes for the Cyclones, just under 28 for the Hawks. Most of that domination for Iowa State came in the third quarter when they controlled the ball for 11 minutes and 24 seconds compared to just over three minutes for the Hawkeyes. Red zone scoring chances, not bad for the Hawks, two of three. For Iowa State, 0 for three. Great story, compelling and rich. These football programs come to you weekly during the entire season. 
This week, once again, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and Pat Hardy's opinions. And during the course of the season, we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments each week by calling 866-74-HAWKS. So after marching down the field 70 yards, it'll be a field goal attempt rather than a touchdown for Iowa. A 27-yard attempt by the true freshman, Trent Mossbrucker. Good snap, good hold, and through the uprights. So a 70-yard drive capped off by a field goal. And the Hawkeyes are out in front, 3-0. 43-yard field goal try for Mahoney who has missed on two field goal attempts today. Full leg swing, and how about that? You miss on an odd angle from 21, and you just hammer it through from 43. And with 25 seconds to go in the third quarter, a third quarter which has been thoroughly dominated by Iowa State, we're tied at three. Let's hear now from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz. Ferentz talks about the challenges Iowa faces at Pitt. You know, we, we've got another challenge this week, certainly. T- traveling on the road, first time uh, to do that. Leave Kinnick here and hit the road on Friday. And then, obviously, uh, you know, we've got a tough opponent to get ready for playing Pittsburgh, heading out there. So, you know, it's, uh, we expect it to be quite a challenge. It'll be another test for us. You know, we're uh, happy about the weekend. Now we got to bounce back here and get our focus where it needs to be and uh, make sure that we have a, a good week of preparation because, uh, again, it's going to be a tough contest for us. And, you know, it's probably going to be that way the next uh, next nine ball games. So right now we're just worried about this one and, you know, we'll go from there. But, uh, you know, Pitt's a team we got great respect for. We know it's going to be a tough challenge and hopefully we'll be ready to go. Ferentz discusses the quarterback competition and whether it'll work itself out in practice. I think that's probably the plan right now. You know, if we were playing today, which we're not, obviously, but if we were playing today, I think Jake would be our starter, and you know, we'll just kind of go from there. But, uh, you know, happy with both of them. I think uh, we'll see how this week goes in practice. Uh, like I said the other day, really not trying to be coy, and uh, you know, I don't think it's going to affect Pitt at all in preparation because we're pretty much the team, same team you know, running the same plays offensively. But uh, we'll just see how the week materializes and uh, hope that both guys continue to prepare like they have been and you know, just see how things pan out. Kirk talks about Iowa's defense through the first three games. Yeah, I mean, really, for the most part, statistics uh, and you know rankings, all those kinds of things, to me, in September don't mean much. Uh, what what is important though is is how we're doing things, and I think the guys are working hard. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of good things. We still have a lot of things we, we can get better at, and are going to have to get better at. Uh, and I, I said that a week ago, and certainly the uh, uh, margin for error. Uh, closed down a great deal last week, and it's going to be that way the next nine weeks. So you know, we, we've got to keep our focus on improvement. Uh, we have some young guys getting experience, which is a real positive thing, good experience. You know, we'll just see how we play the next nine games, but at least we're off to a good start. The guys are, for the most part, operating in a pretty good uh, fashion, and the good news there is we can, can continue to improve if our attitude's good and you know we're realistic about what we're doing. Ferentz was asked if his team is progressing well. Yeah, I just, you know, I'm pleased with our attitude and I'm pleased with our, you know, uh, competitiveness, if you will. And, uh, you know, we're happy, first of all, happy to win Saturday, but also, you know, we, we had to respond numerous times. You know, you start with the first play, that was that was an ugly first play. But, you know, the, the team kept responding in a, in a positive way. So that was good to see. You know, we're, again, we're going to get tested. Uh, we knew that going into that ball game it was going to be tough. And 
realistically, hopefully the next nine will be that way. We're going to have to work to make sure they are, but it's that that's probably going to be more of the kind of game we're in from here on in. So, you know, we're going to have to, A, prepare it, and then B, be ready to compete and, and then C, respond uh, to, to situations during the course of the game. So it was a, it was a good start, that, that's for sure. Ferentz discusses the fact that this Iowa team is relatively young and the challenges that brings into play on their first road game. Just, I think, them realizing that the, the game is the game, no matter you know where we're at, what the terrain may be, what the stadium looks like, or you know what the uniforms the other team uh, may look like. You know, you, you got to get ready to play the game and focus on that. You know, not geez, look at that building, or you know, boy, there's three rivers. You know, right outside the stadium. It's probably why they call it the other stadium, Three River Stadium. But th- those kinds of things, you know, that uh, it's not a field trip. You know, we're going over there to play a game just like we have the last three Saturdays. And But it, for the younger guys, it's a little bit of a novelty, you know. So hopefully they're able to keep their focus where it needs to be so they can uh, perform on Saturday when game game time comes around. Next up, let's hear from Pitt Panthers head coach Dave Weinstadt. Weinstadt talks about focusing on Iowa. You know, I was a, a very uh, physical football team. That would be the first thought that, that comes to mind. Uh, they're they're well coached. You know, they're, they're they've got a staff that obviously has been with Kurt uh, Ferentz for several years on both sides of the ball. Uh, they're committed to what what they believe in. It's been successful for them, and and they do a great job of it. I mean, they they have not given up a touchdown this year with their defense in three games, which is outstanding. I don't care who you're playing or or, or where you're playing. To, to, to not give up a touchdown is, is playing great defense. And uh, and offensively, last week they uh, you know they, they kind of do what they have to do. They they've made some big plays in the in the passing game when they've had to. They've they've made some plays in the run when they've had to. So you know they're they're balanced from an offensive perspective. Um, you know, this is uh, be a big challenge for our football team. We're we're looking forward to it. I think this will we'll find out. You know where we're at as a football team. Uh, you know, and it's it's interesting because um, you know the, the the size of their football team will you know, will, will be the difference. I think when you when you can when you look at some of the MAC teams, I think some of the skill positions, uh, receivers, running backs, defensive backs. There's to me, there's there's a lot of similar players in both leagues, and and I think when when you start playing teams, particularly from the Big Ten, uh, you know the size of the offensive defensive alignment are the things that uh, that separate themselves. So it'll it'll be a big challenge physically for our football team. Wanstad talks about his star linebacker Scott McKillop. Well, Scott's done a great job. You know, he was you know Big East uh, defensive player of the week uh, last week against Buffalo. Uh, you know, he, he has. You know, he's playing now with, with two guys beside him that have never played before. And and I think, uh, you know, with we, we got a new defensive coordinator, a new linebacker coach. So, the uh, you know, there, there's been some, some changes. There's been some adjustments that Scott's had to deal with. And I think uh, he's handled it extremely well. And, and it really hasn't uh, had any effect on his game. And so he's off to a good start. I mean, I, I think he's... Uh, pretty confident about his abilities right now what he's doing and uh, uh, you know for us to, to continue to uh, to have any success he's got to continue to play well. Wanstat talks about how running back LaShawn McCoy compares to Tony Dorsett. Yeah there's, there's been a lot of talk about that because they're you know what what they both accomplished uh, early and 
and obviously LaShawn being from here, um, there, there's probably some similarities, but I think LaShawn's a bigger back, a stronger back. Tony was probably more elusive. Tony had better speed, probably breakaway speed. You know, I think they're similar probably with the intangibles. I mean, they, they both work extremely hard. They're both tough guys. Uh, they can both catch the ball well. You know, some of those things are probably similar, a lot more similar than, than their running style. Wanstad discusses the problems of opposing a spread offense versus the kind of problems Iowa poses for Pittsburgh running a power eye formation. You prepare for, for everything and, you, and you, you have to be able to defend everything, but they're good at what they do. They've got very talented backs, they've got outstanding linemen, big, strong, tough guys. Uh, and from a scheme standpoint, you know, it's, it's evident that you know, regardless of what you line up in, you're not going to trick them. I mean, they've seen it all. They've blocked it all. They've got answers for it. It ties in real nice with their play-action package. So, you know, I think you have to stand back and say, uh, when you combine how their style, what they believe in of running the ball, play-action pass, big plays, playing defense, special teams, it all makes sense. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. This week, Sean Patchett visits with Marv. Well, this was a big win for the Hawks. Your overall impressions of the game? It was a good game. It was uh, two, I thought, two evenly matched teams for the most part. And then when that happens, usually it comes down to big plays and special teams. And, and that's kind of what we, I think we saw. They missed a couple field goals and, uh, you know, we get the big punt return. So, I mean, I think it was a, a great win for Iowa. And uh, I thought both teams were played pretty well for the most part, but it was two evenly matched teams, I thought. Oh, what does this game tell you about the Hawks? Uh, how much more do we know this week compared to the first two games? It's a good win. They, they learned how to win in a tough environment, and the one thing I really thought they did well was, we talked about last week, was matching the intensity that Iowa State was bringing to the table. I thought Iowa did not get outplayed in that aspect, which was exciting for me. I mean, I really thought the guys were playing emotional, tough football, but yet disciplined. You know, that's that's kind of the difference. You know, you see Iowa State was getting some personal foul penalties and things like that where Iowa wasn't. So um, those things end up being big in the course of a tight ball game. The field conditions, especially on the south side, were really bad. Obviously affected both teams in all phases of the game. Just a couple of questions about that. As a former player and now a coach, talk about how those kind of conditions affect your game plan and play calling. A lot, and you have to, uh, you know, you have to figure out during pregame warmups what you can and can't do in certain situations. You got to check and see what kind of footing the players are getting. Uh, so you want to either play to your strengths or, or play to, you know, like screens and misdirection can be good in that type of environment if you know where you're cutting and which which direction you're going. So you just have to be smart about what plays you you call and how you use your progressions that you're trying to set up plays with but uh, wholeheartedly it's just a matter during pregame warm-up or during the course of the game you got to evolve what you're doing and uh, make those adjustments. Does a soggy field impact the offense or the defense more or is it just in different ways? I think it probably affects you know it, it affects both sides I mean in the one the one thing you really have to do is just come under control you got to break down get your feet underneath you and, and play under control a little bit more than, than just going flying around because you really see guys slipping out trying to make 
fast cut cover you know when they're returning a kick or something they just their feet slip right out from underneath them so you got to play under control and that I think affects both offense and defense equally all right, this next one is one of those what-if questions. But watching both teams on Saturday, assessing their offenses in particular, do you think a dry field might have benefited Iowa more and perhaps helped Stanzi connect with his receivers? I think a dry field probably would have helped Iowa State more in the spread offense a little bit. I mean, I think both teams at times did move the ball effectively, but other times they, they stalled. And, and uh, you know, I think late in the third or third quarter and early in the fourth quarter, I think Iowa State was doing a nice job of controlling the, 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 uh, the, the time of possession and, and putting the ball in, in the red zone going into Iowa's direction so I, mean, I think both teams managed it well I think for the most part the big plays like I said came down to personal fouls and, and special teams. Did you enjoy playing in weather like that? At times at times not I mean when it got really really sloppy you know the fact that it wasn't raining hard was one element that made it kind of manageable the ball probably stayed pretty dry and tacky that's where it gets really difficult if the ball just is soaking wet and, and gets really slippery. But field conditions is something you can kind of control just with, like I said, playing under, a little bit more under control. Uh, taking a look at the offense, what stood out to you? Hard to say, I guess. I mean, they didn't score many points. You know, they had some opportunities, but uh, a little off, you know. I, I think, you know, it's kind of what you, I, like I didn't feel Stansy was playing that bad, really, other than making a bad decision, throwing back across his body. You never want to throw it back across your body unless you, the guy's wide open. And then he, he stared into the tight end one time and, and threw it into triple coverage. So, you know, those two were bad decisions. But uh, overall, I, I didn't think he played particularly poorly. Just didn't play well, you know. And, um, and uh, I mean, Iowa was good enough to come in when Christensen came in and actually just make some plays, you know, hand the ball off to Sean Green and that can be a pretty effective offense on a sloppy field. Uh, same question with the defense. Uh, I thought they played well. I mean, I thought they did a nice job of, of kind of the bend but don't break philosophy. You know, for I, I don't know exactly what the statistics were, but there was a point where I really felt like Iowa State was in control of the game and, and felt like they could win the game. In fact, at one point it was 10-3, I think, and Iowa State had a fourth and short down on like the five or six yard line. And I honestly at that time felt like you kick the field goal if you think you're better than the team. Otherwise, if you feel like you're equal or, or lesser, you go. You know, you go for it. And they decided to kick the field goal, and they end up hitting the hitting the post and uh, not coming out with points right there. And it told me something that Iowa State. I think Iowa State felt like they really had control of the ball game at that point because their offense was having success. You know, I thought our defense answered the bell. I mean, obviously to hold a team to, to that few points was a big thing. Great to finally see a punt return for a touchdown. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts there? Well, I mean, Brodell's a stud. I mean, he's a weapon. And, you know, it goes back to the Texas game when he catches the ball and outruns one of the Texas cornerbacks. I mean, the guy's a player, and it's just now from the other 10 guys, they get excited now knowing that, oh, if I get my block, we got a chance to, to, to go to the house here at any given time. So that's that's exciting. That kind of feeds off of itself, that, that energy. So I think you'll see more and more big plays out of our special teams. I thought, especially with the field conditions, Stancy played okay for the first half, then struggled a little more in the second. Jake comes in, gets the touchdown on a series, emphasizing the run. Then he starts missing his passes again. The new two deeps are out, and Stancy and Christensen are listed as co-starters. Sester play a little bit, and Togo, where, where do you think we go from here? I, I think it's, you know, that, that's, that's what's going to happen with two younger guys. You know, you're going to get one day this guy's going to be on, the other one's not, or you know, one day they're both going to be on. Or you're going to have ups and downs, and it's not just going to be a simple thing where, okay, you're the number one, and you're the number one for the year because they're, they're, you know, they're going to play better at times. They're going to play worse at times, and so you just have to have the flexibility that says, you know, we're going to we're going to go with what's going to help us win the game, and that's exactly what they did. I mean, Christensen come in, you know, like you said, he, he dumped off a couple times, nothing spectacular, but led the offense down and got points. And, and, and that flexibility is good for an offense because you have that change of pace. You can bring a new guy in, you know, see how it goes. So, you know, the, the starter thing, in my opinion, is just something you put on a board, but. 
when they get in the game, coaches, you know, six, seven, eight passes in, they're going to know if a player's on, if he's in rhythm, throwing the ball and making good decisions. If he's not, they have the flexibility to go to somebody else. It really seems like both quarterbacks are handling the situation well. I think so. I mean, I think it was good for Jake. I mean, I, it was heartwarming to me to see the fans re react to Jake when he came in with a positive spin, and, and that's a good environment for him, especially coming out of the last year and a half and, and people being somewhat negative. Uh, you know, and I've been critical of him too, so, but, uh, you know, it was good to see him come in and manage that and, and the fans support him and, and they're Iowa Hawkeye. You know, every single guy on that roster is an Iowa Hawkeye and, and I'm a fan of Iowa Hawkeye, so I need to be a fan of those guys. And, and I thought, uh, you know, he did a great job of coming in and, and hey, you help your team win, that's, that's a good thing. So no matter how you do it. Looking ahead to this coming Saturday against Pitt, they've had two weeks to prepare for the Iowa game. How does having a bye week, especially this early in the season, actually help you prepare for the next game? And can you talk a little bit about both the pluses and the minuses? Well, I think from a plus standpoint, Dave Wansett's a great coach. I mean, he's an X and O guy. He's great defensive coach and a, and a defensive genius in my opinion. I played with him one year at Chicago so he's good from that standpoint so giving him a week to prepare is, is a great thing. If you had some players nicked up it gives you extra extra rest time as well. The downside is, is they haven't got off to the best of starts so they I think they realize that they've got some issues uh, that having to sit around that week and not try to fix them is just one more week that they got to answer the critics they got to you know what's going on with with Pitt and all those things. It can be it can be a pro or con it just depends on how they took the work week and the extra days of practice and stuff and if they've prepared and they've ironed out their problems then it was a plus but if they haven't if they've you know dwelled on it and it's it's wore on them a little bit the, the fact that they've struggled in the first couple of games then it's a negative so I mean it's just you know we'll know about a quarter and a half into the game how it went. Well this will be Iowa's first road game of the season a lot of young players and true freshmen on the field how do you expect they'll perform and will the coaches do anything in particular to help with that? Yeah I mean they'll probably work on some stuff this week with crowd noise and things like that but uh, it's routine you know I mean what you find is is their home routine is not much different than their away routine I mean they have a walkthrough on on a Friday, they'll get on a bus, go to the airport, where usually they went to the hotel in Cedar Rapids, they'll get on the airport, they'll, then they'll just check into the hotel in Pitt, and then they'll go through the same routines, night meetings, get up in the morning, have training table, have a meeting, take the bus to the stadium, and so it, you are habits of routine, and so from that standpoint, it'll be uh, similar to what they've been doing, but just on the road, and then just having to deal with the crowd noise and things like that, and, and uh, there's enough leadership on this team that uh, they can hopefully take those guys under their wings and have them ready. Your keys to the game? Getting out early I think and 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 jumping on pit early and, and showing some some dominance in the running game and, and just sh hopefully showing that Big Ten presence up front how physical we can be just establishing some confidence that you know once we can get things going and, and get on a roll you know the longer it stays a closer game the more that favors the home team but uh, you know it's still early in the season it's gonna come down to penalties special teams and turnovers and you know if Iowa can control those three th three things they'll have a good chance to win the ballgame. Any other thoughts? No, it's just, I mean, great to be 3-0, and and it's better than the alternative. So, you know, I think we just keep stepping up in class each game, and I think this will be another step up for the Hawks and, and another great challenge and an opportunity for them. So, if, uh, you know, hopefully they can come out 4-0. Third and eight. Empty backfield. Alexander Robinson split far to the right. Bates throws down the middle, and it's intercepted. There is a flag where the pass was thrown. Greenwood picked it off at the 40-yard line. We wait on the penalty, however. Shot block on the offense, 57. That penalty's declined. Resolved the play the first down. Well, after a delay of game, took him from third and five to now third and nine at the Iowa 20. Then they had to burn a timeout after that, or not, out of the shotgun. Lost it towards a corner, and it is intercepted. 
And stepping out of bounds at the one is Tyler Sash. Third and 11, Stanzi out of the shotgun. Good protection, and it is intercepted at the 29-yard line by Michael Bibbs. A total of six plays on offense in this quarter for Iowa. Three and out, punting out of their own end zone. And now on third and 11, a pick. Hawkeye's Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. We welcome back Pat Hardy, who's interviewed this week by Sean Patchett. You can read Pat's articles in The Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. Your overall impressions of this big win for the Hawks? Well, it wasn't pretty, but it was just what they needed. They took care of the Iowa State problem for at least a year. They protected home field. They improved to 3-0. The defense didn't allow another a touchdown for a third consecutive game. The quarterback situation still remains, I, I don't want to say it's a problem, but it's an issue right now because neither one of them distinguished themselves. Stansy did not look very good. They were able to run the ball. I thought for the most part they, they controlled things on the line of scrimmage. So when they're 3-0, you really can't complain. After watching on Saturday, how much more do we know about Iowa now compared to the first two games? Yeah, a little bit, only because the competition was better. But there's still issues. I still think we need to see more to really assess their passing attack. I think the passing defense, too, is a little suspect right now. I think Iowa State exposed a few things there. But I still think we need to see how this team's going to react to playing on the road against, a somewhat, against an okay Pittsburgh team. But I think just one game against Iowa State, there's still a lot of questions that still need to be answered. Well, the field conditions were pretty bad, especially towards the south end zone. Um, affected both teams. Uh, watching that game, do you think it impacted the offense or the defense more? I think mm, probably maybe the offense a little bit more. But then you can also say, well, at least the offensive people know which way they're running in the rain where the defensive people have to react. I thought the best thing is it played into Iowa's hands because Iowa plays power football. They run Sean Green, and Sean Green's the kind of back who can – gain yards and that he doesn't really he's not a juker and doesn't need the terrain to be dry to do his thing and I think that's what it affected more than anything I think it helped Iowa I think it really gave Iowa the advantage because they're more of a power team could you assess the play of the offense it was okay I think the running game is okay right now I was impressed with that they're getting some good holes Sean Green's running downhill the passing game's still out of out of sync and, and I think until they get this quarterback situation resolved I think it's going to be I mean they're they, every once in a while, the tight ends played a good role and what have you, but I think the downfield passing attack right now is really out of sync, and that was largely because Ricky was missing open receivers. Uh, same question about the defense? Defense has done everything it can. I mean, I do wonder about the pass defense a little bit because Iowa State threw for 252 yards, and they made that seven-yard down and out just look easy. I sometimes wonder why they didn't try to do it more. I've got some issues with the passing defense, but I think front seven-wise, they're going to be pretty good. Special teams were certainly critical, especially Brodell's return. That's a mark of maybe why this might be a Iowa team that wins two or three more games than I had originally thought. If they can keep getting good play on special teams, big plays and what have you, and not allowing big plays to happen on special teams, that could be the difference of one or two victories this year. It's been a few moments here on the quarterbacks. Stansy had a decent first half, seemed to have a little more trouble in the second. Jake replaced him, got the one touchdown on the ground, and then struggled a little bit as well. Uh, Kirk says they're still essentially even. Yeah, but he did say Jake has the edge today. Jake would be his starter today, and I think if you look at it, going into a first road game at another BCS 
school. I think you got to go with a guy who's started 13, 14 games in his career. I think Jake's been there and done it before, and I think I think the coaches feel more comfortable that Jake will be able to handle the surroundings and the pressure of playing on the road. I mean, what did you think of their play on Saturday? What do you expect to see at Pittsburgh? I thought they were average. Jake didn't do anything to cause the team to self-destruct, whereas Stansy missed a lot of open receivers. He looked nervous. He just looked like a kid making his second start. And Saturday, I think they just need to have their quarterback not cost them any opportunities to score. I think they need to try to run the ball, control the clock, control the line of scrimmage, and hopefully get some play action if Sean Green's gaining some yards. They just need to make sure that they don't lose because of the quarterback position. Uh, both Rick and Jake seem to be handling the situation very well. Jake doesn't seem to buy into the idea that this competition is good. Well, I think it's all from their perspective. Rick's the guy trying to supplant the guy. Jake's the guy that's been there, and he's Anytime you're losing something that you've had, you're gonna. I think you're gonna be a little defensive and respond to it a little differently. Jake's losing ground to Stanzi, so Stanzi's made that improvement. It's a, so he's got a completely different perspective of it. And I think Jake truly thinks he's the best quarterback. Now that Kirk said that Jake is number one again, Jake's got the chance. Now he's just got to go out and prove it. I mean, this is just screaming for somebody to come out there and win that job. And now Jake's got the upper hand at least for the time being. So it's up to him. All right, before we turn to the pick game, maybe to clarify things a little bit in fans' minds, you are both a reporter and a columnist for the Press Citizen. How do you try and separate those two roles, and how do you approach each one? Well, it's easy. When I'm a reporter, I'm just reporting facts and doing a feature story and leaving my opinions completely out of it. It's basically the quotes and the story itself. It's all about facts and what have you. When I'm doing a column, I'm basically voicing my opinion. I'm voicing what I'm thinking in my head. I'm voicing like if I was a fan, what I'd be sitting there thinking and what have you. And I also got to make sure as a columnist for the Iowa City paper that I'm careful not to be a homer because journalism has changed that way. But you also don't want to be too cynical. You want to try to keep it fair and balanced. If I see a problem with something, I'm going to write that I think there's a problem. I think you got to be true to yourself when, because when you're putting your mug on there, you're you're basically saying this is what I feel, and you need to be true to yourself and whatever. But it's just all a matter when you're doing a news story, it's facts. When you're doing a column, it's your opinion. Do you think most columnists try to be a little provocative, maybe generate extra fan reaction? I think you could. I mean, I think columnists know when they're writing something that's going to trigger some response. And I'm not saying I don't think people, we as columnists, go deliberately out there and say, hey, I'm going to write this because I know it's going to upset a lot of people. I think. The more feedback you get, the better, because then that means people are reading, you're generating interest and what have you. But I think a, I, mean, I think some columnists might do that. I don't necessarily sit down and say, okay, I want to write that column over that one because I think this one's going to be trigger more of a response. I think you write one you feel the best about and you feel the most confident in your opinion. All right, focusing on Pitt this Saturday. They've been off with the bye week with a little extra time to prepare for Iowa. Plus, it's the first road game of the season for the Hawks with a lot of young players. It's going to be a tough game. Pitt's already had their low point to their season, too, I think. Losing at home to Bowling Green, to me, did Iowa no favors. Because I think there's a lot of people thinking that Iowa's going to win that game since Pitt's already struggled. They struggled twice. They barely beat Buffalo. They've had two weeks to prepare, though, and I just I think it's going to be a tough game. If I had to pick right now, I'd probably pick Iowa to lose a close game. I think home field advantage is going to be big, and I'm still not convinced the Iowa offense can do enough on the road against a decent opponent to pull out a victory. What do you expect this week from both teams? Uh, what would you say are the keys to the game? The keys for Iowa are stopping LaShawn McCoy. Pitt's very talented, arguably one of the best running backs in the country. They can't let him go off. They can't let him score early and build confidence and get that crowd into it. Iowa needs to come out there, establish the running game, take the crowd out of the game, get ahead early, just pound with Sean Green, get play action going, and the quarterbacks just need to make sure they don't cause anything, don't cause problems. Just Direct the game, direct the offense, do the things you need to, but don't put the offense in a hole. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 
866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that following every football game, questions will be posted on HawkeyesMike.com. You can respond to those or offer whatever comments you like. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. To have your comments included in the next show, please call by Tuesday evening. Just call 866-74-HAWKS. The new podcast should be available for listening or downloading on Wednesdays. Again, just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. And broadcast school has really paid off. Today's Hawkeye's Mic program is made possible in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. It contains no alcohol and actually moisturizes hands while protecting you and your family. Go to www.prefence.com. And by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. And by The Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319-358-3500 or go to www.thelodgeatui.com. Iowa travels to Pittsburgh and Heinz Field this Saturday for its first road game of the season. Despite a somewhat disappointing one-and-one start for the Dave Wanstead-coached Panthers, this should be a tough test against a Big East opponent that was ranked in the preseason top 25. It's also somewhat of a homecoming for coach Kirk Ferentz, who was raised in the Pittsburgh area. Pitt hasn't defeated a Big Ten foe since beating Penn State 12-0 in 2000. And last year, they lost at Michigan State, 17-13. Pitt appears to have a pretty tough defense, more stingy on the ground than through the air, but they do have some key injuries. They tend to run a power-type offense, similar to Iowa's and Wisconsin's, so this will be one of the few games this year where Iowa's defense won't face some version of the spread. Pitt has a terrific young running back in sophomore LaShawn McCoy, who is drawing comparisons to Tony Dorsett. They are also 7 of 7 in the red zone through their first two games. Some folks are making the case that Pitt and Wanstead need this game more than the Hawks do. Following their season-opening loss to Ball State, Wanstead and his staff have been criticized for playing not to lose, and several Pitt players this week have called the Iowa game a statement game. Those factors, coupled with a home field advantage, may tilt the game in the Panthers' favor. Saturday's contest is the first against Pittsburgh since 1952 and only the eighth ever against a Big East opponent for Iowa. It should be a better indicator of how good these Hawks might be, whether the defense can turn in another stellar performance, whether they can keep Pitt out of the end zone in this kind of environment, and, regardless of which quarterback starts, whether the offense can generate drives and points, and whether the offensive line can control the line of scrimmage. It will be interesting to see whether Ferentz will put Stanzi out there at the start of the game on the road against a quality BCS opponent, or whether Christensen will start with, perhaps, Stanzi rotating in. We should know a lot more about this young Hawkeye team after this game. A win at Pitt would set the table nicely 
for the Big Ten opener next week at home against Northwestern. Hasn't been easy. It won't be easy. They are going after the trophy. They are not going to charge Iowa State. They want the trophy. And can you feel the emotion of these Iowa Hawkeyes fans? Kurt Ferens and the Iowa Hawkeyes able to celebrate. Congratulations to all those who root on the black and gold. Our thanks again to the Big Ten Network for the game highlights. Nice job on the telecast. Our thanks also to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy. We hope you have enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. We encourage new callers, phone into Hawkeyes Mike, make yourself heard, then listen to yourself on the show. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.